Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Booming Basketball Podcast. Today, I'm joined with Danny. As per usual, I'm Nate. Today, we're doing a episode about the upcoming end of the season awards for the NBA. As we know now, the NBA season is winding down. Most of the playoff spots are what they will be, basically final spots. A couple teams can still shift here and there. And, yeah, but for the most part, the MVP race is coming to an end. The Rookie of the Year race is coming to an end. All of the awards are coming to an end. And so is the season for the teams not making the playoffs. Obviously, the races for these awards are season-long, and we've seen the change in quite a few of the awards. And MVP, we saw at the beginning of the season, a lot of people had Steph Curry as a favorite. Nikola Jokic during the middle of the season got a lot of traction. Luka Doncic now at the end of the season is picking up and getting more recognition. So is Giannis Antetokounmpo. And really, you just you can't know until the season ends. And right now, it's, it's really hard to pick. We're going to start off with the MVP, obviously. That's the biggest award that there is. The MVP, I think, for me this season is... I don't know how controversial this is, but I think it should be Joel Embiid. It's probably most people's picks, probably the favorite to win it. And I really give a close second nod to Giannis. I love Nikola Jokic, but I just think he hasn't won enough games at this point to be considered for the MVP. And Giannis and Joel Embiid are both dominating at the top of the East and putting up absolutely unconscious stats. So one, two, three, what are you doing? I'm saying first Embiid. Second, Giannis. Third, Nikola Jokic. Okay. Are you on the same page? I'm on the exact same page. <laughs> I mean, we saw the other day Joel Embiid put up 44-17 and 17 on the Cavs just further to cement his MVP case. Joel Embiid and Giannis Antetokounmpo both obviously atop the Eastern Conference. They actually have the exact same record at the time of recording this. Both sit at 48-30. and 30. And I just think I have to give the slight nod to Embiid. Maybe it's because of the fact that Giannis already has two, and I think it's time for a new player to win it. But also, Embiid's just taken his game to a whole new level this season. Last season, we saw him, unfortunately, not win the award. It kind of He kind of had a little setback with injuries. And, yeah, he didn't get to finish his MVP campaign of last season. And this season has just been a continuation of that. Averaging 30 points a game, 11 rebounds, 4 assists, and a block and a half. He's incredible. He's probably the most unstoppable player in basketball alongside Antetokounmpo right now. They are just impossible to guard unless you foul them or hack the, hack the absolute shit out of them. It's weird because the thing with Embiid, I'm not saying he's Shaq dominant, but compared to today's NBA, there are not as many big centers or as many Shaqs or Patrick Ewings or Hakeem Olajuwon's or Alonzo Mourning's or the likes of those kind of guys, those all-star bigs that were just really paint-dominant, aggressive, big guys who could put up a fight against Shaq better than any guy would today. If Shaq was in today's NBA, he'd be even more dominant than he was. But Embiid is like Shaq's size plus the shooting touch, which I think is what makes him so scary. So I know what you're saying, but at the same time, I feel like I enjoy watching Giannis a lot more than I enjoy watching Embiid. It might just be a personal preference. I don't know because I just feel like part of it is that Embiid takes a lot of free throws. He does, he but really so does. does Giannis. So does Giannis, yeah, you're right. But I feel like Giannis makes more exciting plays, more game-changing yeah, plays. Yeah, Joel Embiid's a slower player. He's more slowed down, back-to-the-basket, post-dominant. I really like that. I love the 
traditional big man coming back, and he's really a traditional dominant big man like Patrick Ewing, but with an added touch of a three-point shot. But I'm yeah, but I'm saying with that three-point shot, he has like he has the skill and talent and all that to make like those plays. Yeah, he does that. Yeah, like those kinds of game-changing plays. I feel like Giannis makes more of a difference though. I can get where you're coming from, but I also think that Embiid's team doesn't give him nearly as much of support as Giannis's team gets out of him. And I think that the Bucks are a better team without Giannis than the Sixers are without JoJo. Embiid still is my pick, y'all. Just saying. Yeah, I don't think Danny actually uh, knew what he was said before because it sounds like he's arguing Giannis over Embiid. No, 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 I'm not. I'm, I'm saying who the MVP should be is Embiid. I'm saying... I, Danny, I, you wanna you wanna no, retract I, your I, dis- no no I, f- I just feel like part of it is like me wanting to say JoJo just because you know Giannis is one of the past two years like you said yeah I can't make that decision for you I'm not your dad yeah I know cue the elevator music while we wait for Danny to make his decision. So I've come to the executive decision that the NBA MVP is Embiid and my MVP is Giannis. How's that? That, that makes no sense, but okay. That worked? How? It will be Embiid, but I would pick Giannis. I would vote Giannis. My vote would go to okay, Giannis. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Going on to Defensive Player of the Year. This one is probably a lot tougher than the MVP because I think you have a bunch of guys who are all in conversation for it. You have guys like Rudy Gobert who obviously won it before. Giannis, who's won it before. Bam Adebayo's having a terrific defensive season. And then you have two guys from Boston who are leading the best defensive team in the NBA in Robert Williams and Marcus Smart. I'm not biased, okay? I have no bias towards the Boston Celtics, but in my opinion this season, the Defensive Player of the Year should definitely go to Marcus Smart. I think the reason that Marcus Smart deserves it too is just because of how much the Celtics have turned around their season and how vital he has been in, in that he is probably the only point guard in the entire NBA that can guard one through five. He literally gets switched on to centers and has them struggle. I know from past uh, watching them, they switch him onto certain centers who are not very big or interior threats, and he does a really, really, really good job on them, and he almost plays like a Nicholas Batum-type help defender at times, but he's six foot three, And if you look at his defensive stats this year, they're kind of ridiculous. He, he's the best defensive guard in the league by a mile this season. There is no other guard you can argue, I think, for defensive player of the year other than Marcus Smart. He's sixth, he's sixth in the league in steals per game at 1.7. He's 11th in total defensive win shares and 14th in box plus minus on the defensive end. As well as that, he has an incredibly high defensive rating, even though it's only the third highest on the Celtics, which just goes to show how good of defensive team the Celtics are this season he still has a defensive rating of 106.9 which ranks him in the top 15 so Marcus Smart just does everything all over the floor he gets in passing lanes he can guard one through five he's led the Celtics to one of the best records in the league he draws charges he's a vocal leader and I think this is the year that Marcus Smart deserves his recognition because he's more than a role player for that team and I honestly think that he's He's kind of like the Draymond Green for the Boston Celtics. Uh, my pick for Defensive Player of the Year, I think it should go to Giannis personally. I know you could, people might say it's a little bit boring, but whatever. I mean, Giannis is the best help defensive player in basketball. 
there's not much to say to go against other than the fact that I just think Marcus Smart has been having an outstanding year and really deserves recognition because he hasn't necessarily gotten any in the past. He's made a defensive team one or two times maybe, but never been an all-star, never been considered for that. And regardless of how much people see him as in this Draymond role or whatnot, Draymond has been an all-star. Marcus Smart's never even been considered for that, and I feel like he almost does the exact same thing that Draymond does. And I just think Marcus Smart is has earned his respect, and it's about time that he gets his gets his credit because the Boston Celtics would not be nearly as good this season without him. I think he's proved his value, and he's proved how much he means to that team because when they didn't have him uh, earlier in the season, it showed, and last season when he was out for some time, it shows. They need Marcus Smart, and when Marcus Smart is playing at a high level, the Celtics play at a high level. Who do you have at your two and three? For my second, for my runner-up, I'm probably going to give it to Rudy Gobert just because I think Rudy Gobert also, again, doesn't get the credit he deserves. He's the best rim protector in basketball. You know he can't guard one through five, but he does a pretty damn good job of switching out to guards when he has to. There's a couple clips of him getting exposed, but that's because he tries and he doesn't want to just get blown by. I think you can't knock Gobert for not guarding one through five. He's seven foot one, and Gobert does everything that he's asked to at a better level than anybody in the NBA. And him and Giannis are probably interchangeable for me at the two and three, and then maybe Robert Williams would probably be in there at four. I would say Robert Williams higher, but I think Marcus Smart makes him so much better on the defensive end and has honestly helped clean up a lot of his mistakes. Marcus Smart as a vocal leader on the defensive end, orchestrate. He's like a point guard on the defensive end. He's not a great facilitator and actual point guard on the offensive end, but on the defensive end, he knows how to play point guard better than anybody in the NBA. So, yeah, so for my two, I think I'm going to put Rudy Gobert, and then my three, possibly a little hot take, but he was mentioned earlier in the season as a defensive player of the year candidate, Macau Bridges. All right, now moving on to rookie of the year. So I think that this could be argued between three different players, Mobley, Barnes, and uh, Cade, and it really just depends what order you put them in. Honestly, I put the order as Mobley one, Cade two, Scotty three. Yeah, for most of the season, we've seen the same three guys been talked about as the front runners for the MVP race. If the MVP race was actually the Rookie of the Year award, because that's what I meant to say. <laughs> and Franz Wagner snuck in there for a little bit. Josh Giddy had his moments, but he didn't really play as much as these other guys did. He might still finish top three. Josh Giddy's not going to finish top three, no matter how much Danny wants him to. And... Yeah, it's no-brainer. The top three are going to be Scotty, Cade, and Evan Mobley. Giddy for, at four is a lock. Giddy at four is a lock. Giddy at four is a lock, okay? Yeah! Danny's, Danny's very excited. He actually just shit himself. It smells really bad. Honestly, for me, most of the year the front runner was Evan Mobley. But Evan Mobley has not played as much. He's only played in 17 games since the All-Star break. In Mobley's 17 games since the All-Star break, he hasn't really gotten much better, but he also hasn't gotten worse. He's been basically the same as he's been all season, average 15 and 8.8 since the break. It's basically what he's averaging on the season. He's averaging 15 and 8. The thing that really stands out about Mobley to me is that I definitely think that he like has the potential to be a top five defender in the league at some point. I think Mobley has better potential than necessarily the guy who I think is in second place over him now, but... I don't know. Mobley's going to be incredible regardless of if he wins Rookie of the Year or not. It doesn't really well, did, matter. Uh, 
For me, I have Scotty Barnes over. Yeah, I have Scotty Barnes over him at this point. I I can see where you could argue that now because Toronto is the five seed. Toronto, yeah, Toronto is sure. now like the yeah. five seed, and he's been vital in their games since the All Star break. Since the All Star break, he's played twenty one games. He's averaging eighteen, eight, and four. He's been one of their main focal points in the offense, especially with Fred VanVleet struggling shooting sub forty percent since the All Star break. Scotty Barnes has just picked up a bigger role and adjusted really, really well, and that's what's impressed me so much. He's already an incredible defender, so saying Mobley's defense isn't really an argument for Barnes anymore. They're pretty equal level defensively, I'd say. And the winning argument with Mobley that was the argument all season long isn't really there anymore because the Raptors are just as good, if not better now. So that I think you have to take into consideration. But neither of those guys are my pick for Rookie of the Year. For me, Rookie of the Year means the best rookie, the guy that played the best, the guy who is the most talented and showed off the most during his rookie season and put up the best numbers possible. And I think that's Cade Cunningham. I can't say it's anyone else. When I watch Cade versus when I watch the other rookies, Cade is just so much more polished and is just he's already looks like a veteran. In the second half of the season, he's been way, way, way better. He started off obviously slow. He's only played 18 games since the All-Star break, but he's averaged 21-6-6. He's just so well-rounded. He really doesn't have any glaring weaknesses in his game at all. Like, I, when I watch Cade, there's nothing that I see in particular that, wow, he really needs to work on that. Like, he's a solid defender. He gets to the basket really well. He hits shots. He makes jump shots. He creates for himself. He creates for others. He's a good rebounder for his sight at first position, and really I think he's the perfect modern-day NBA point guard. You need a score first point guard in today's league, or at least a big scoring threat. And Cade's just been really, really, really good this season. He's averaged more assists than any rookie other than Josh Giddey. He's averaging the most points out of any rookie, and he's averaging top five in rebounds as well. Yeah, no, I could 100% see where you would have Cade get in your vote. I, I agree that he is the best rookie. I agree with that, but you know... During NBA voting, they take into account team success and all that, and obviously the Pistons are terrible. And the reason why I discredit that is because the whole Rookie of the Year award is it's subjective because you don't know what teams they're going to be on. It's not Cade's fault his team sucks, but Cade's doing more with the Pistons than I think anybody else in this draft class would do. If you put Mobley in that situation, I don't think he'd be nearly as successful. I don't think Scotty Barnes would be nearly as successful. I think the person who would honestly do best in that role is probably a guy like Josh Giddy, who is doing a similar thing on the Thunder, where he has been in a lot of games without Shea and has had multiple triple-doubles and really just flourished in a role where he's the focus, focal point of a bad team. But what Cade's doing with the Pistons is better than what anybody else in this entire draft class would be able to do with a team as bad as they are. And the only reason why they're not dead last in the entire league is because they have Cade Cunningham. And I think you can agree with that, that the Pistons would be way, way, way worse if they didn't have Cade. They would actually be, like, maybe a sub-12 win team. Yeah, they could legitimately <laughs> be one. Their roster has the makeup of a high school basketball team. The fact that, Jeremy, the fact that Jeremy Grant isn't a 20-point scorer this season should go to show how good Cade Bro. is because Jeremy Grant should have never been a 20-point-per-game scorer in the first place. That just goes to show how awful that roster was. And they're a little bit better this year just because having Cade as your first option is so much better than having Jeremy Grant. All right, so moving on to one of the more obvious ones, I guess you could say. Yeah, uh, this one's going to... You could make an argument, but this one's gonna you really be, can't. This one's definitely going to be shorter than the other ones. 
the number one seed in the entire Eastern Conference for a good portion of the season, and still as of right now, has been the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat have been so good mainly due to their depth. And most of that, or a lot of that, can be attributed to their six-man, who I think is easily the lock, even though I hate watching him. I just don't like him as a player because I think he's an incredibly selfish player, and he just stops the movement of an offense, which isn't necessarily a bad thing for the Heat, though, because they have no one on the be- on their bench that can actually initiate offense or score the ball, it seems, other than Struess at times. But the sixth man of the year is Tyler Hero. I think it's not arguable. Averaging 21 points a game. That's doing ridiculous. They're the best team in the East, and he's a big reason because of that. 21 points per game off the bench is ridiculous. No, 21 points a game off the bench is really, really, really good. <laughs> okay, but I, I do want to give shout-out to Kelly Oubre Jr. I feel like he hasn't been talked about enough this season as a sixth man. You know he's averaging like 16, right? Yeah, but I just think the Hornets have so many guys that do the exact same thing. I know they do. That I don't, I and the that. Hornets aren't good enough. I just think the fact that Hero's been this good and it's contributed to wins and having an elite six-man is one of the Heat's biggest assets right now. So it, I don't think there's even a reason to put runner-up okay. and third because at this point, who cares? Tyler Hero's the six-man of the year. We know it. You know it. Everyone who watches basketball this season knows it. So... Yeah, we're just waiting for it to get announced at this point. Everyone who also watches basketball also understands, so I shouldn't even have to say it, but Jordan Clarkson's the top three candidate for six men of the year. Yeah, he's up there every year, but he's him and Ubre have both been very good, but they're just not, not Tyler Hero this season. Now for one of the closer award races, the most improved player. I think that there can be... There's a pro- handful there, of there, I think that there could probably be... I think that there could probably be four different picks here where you can make a valid argument for each of them. Yeah, honestly, maybe even more than that. I know me and Danny don't have the same picks for this one. But let's talk about one guy that we do have each here that we are not going to put as the number one guy, even though a lot of people may. It's Ja Morant. And I think really the thing with Ja is I don't know how much better he's gotten, more is he's just gotten a little bit older as an NBA player and feels more comfortable this season, and the Grizzlies are much better as a team this year. Essentially with Ja is he really just got more consistent. His shots started falling at a higher rate. His usage percentage went up about 6% from 27% to 33%. And, yeah, Ja didn't really get that much better or anything. He just started hitting his shots more because he's had more time in the league and he had another offseason to put work in. Ja's been incredible, and I'm not trying to discredit anything he's done this season. And I think, Danny, we can both – this goes for – without saying that Ja has been a top three-point guard in the league probably this season – and he deserves all the credit in the world for how good him and the Memphis Grizzlies have been this year. I just don't know if he should be most improved, especially because I think a lot of people expected him more so than some of the other candidates. Yeah, I, I think expectation has a lot to do with this award. Yeah, expectation is definitely a big thing because people who expect guys to get better yeah. and they get better don't usually get as much recognition. A generational talent like Ja, like that doesn't come around every now and then. Like Ja, ja had these kinds of expectations. Maybe not this high, mm-hmm. but like people still like looked at his rookie season and was like, "Oh yeah, this kid's gonna get better." This isn't like they, a did, sto- they didn't do this for our other candidates. This isn't like, a story like C.J. McCollum. Who expected that? This isn't a story that where like C.J. McCollum went from being a borderline out of the rotation player to someone who was averaging twenty points within in the span of one season. It's not like that. Ja was still great last year and was still an all-star caliber starting point guard. It's just he's had a better season this year. So going on to my pick and Danny's pick, which are both different, I'm going to let Danny start off because I know that he wants to talk about his guy. 
because this was probably the number one guy or the front runner for the award since the beginning of the season, but I think kind of died down the hype around him, cooled off a little bit. He wouldn't produce at as high of a level as he was at the beginning of the season. He's still having a great season nonetheless, but it's just not as what many people thought he was going to after his super hot start. So, listen, he did get off to a super hot start, and he was st- he was still good in the second half of the season, but I think that a lot of what took away from the hype from him for the uh, Most Improved Player Award was, um, you know, like, Ja just taking over social media, one, which he's a Most Improved Player candidate. Then you have guys like Tyler Hero. So for my Most Improved Player of the Year, I'm going to go with Miles Bridges. The the role increase has just been insane. He's helped up that he's helped out that team so much more than anybody else expected. He's averaging 20 points per game, seven rebounds, and four assists on about 50% shooting, which is around the same as last year. But his usage percentage did go up a lot. He's taking a lot more shots. Yeah. He's in a way bigger role. He's obviously proved that he's a better player than someone who should be in the role he was last year. He's proven himself as a borderline all-star potential player, and. Really, he handled the shift of getting more of a responsibility in the offense. He handled it very well. He was getting off the ball looks a lot less. He was getting on the ball a lot more. He was creating for himself and even creating for others a little bit this season more than usual. Average four assists per game. He was honestly a lot better in the pick and roll than I had seen him in the past. He wasn't very good as a pick and roll ball handler. He improved a lot upon that, and his handle got a lot tighter. So I think really he just became better at his actual position, which I think he's best at, the small forward position. I just don't think that Miles Bridges carried out his great play long enough throughout the season for him to get my award. So who's got your award, Nate? My vote is going to have to go to um, another team that is rivals with my favorite team, the guy on the 76ers, copy and paste of Emmanuel Quickly, Tyrese Maxey. Danny gave me a look after I said that he's a copy and paste of Emmanuel Quickly, but uh, we can get into that another time. Um, Tyrese Maxey, though, I think is, for me, easily the most improved player this year. He went from being a borderline in and out of the rotation player last year, not getting consistent minutes. Even though he played in 61 of the games, he only got 15 minutes per game, and he averaged 8 points on 1 assist and 1 rebound. He wasn't doing much other than putting the ball in the basket occasionally, and he shot poor from 3, which was one of his concerns coming out of college. However, we saw Ben Simmons obviously get absolutely dragged his nuts through the dirt and his name absolutely dirtied, and obviously he came and left with Philadelphia. And Tyrese Maxey became the new starting point guard for Philly, who is a top-four seed in the East and a contender probably. He's been honestly perfect as a compliment to Joel Embiid, averaging this season 17 points, 4.3 assists, and 3.3 rebounds. But the big difference this year is the fact that he's taking a lot more shots and also the fact that he's making 42% of his threes this year compared to two attempts per game last season and only 30%. Well, this season he's shooting five attempts per game and shooting 42%. It's just Tyrese Maxey has taken his game to a new level this season and you can see his confidence has just grown immensely and that's what I really like about him is he just has balls. The dude is not afraid to do what he wants to do or try something and be aggressive, and that's just really been great for the Sixers to have, and a backcourt of him and James Harden has been a lot better than a backcourt of Ben Simmons and Danny Green. So at my two spot, 
like you had mentioned earlier, I'm going to give it to Ja, obviously. Um, you know, he's been insane this year. He was an MVP candidate for a little bit. The Grizzlies are great. And then on my three spot, Nate, I'm not going to lie. I just heard you talk about Maxi. I heard you talk about his stats. I'm going to put Maxi at three. I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. I sold him on that idea right there. But Tyrese Maxey, for me, is number one. Number two, I have John Morant. And then number three, I have Alfred Payton. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? Next, we're going on to more of a team award. Obviously, the coach of the year. Um, obviously last year was Tom Thibodeau and he's been clearly just so great this season as a coach and he's obviously going to repeat as a back-to-back coach of the year, but, um, oh wait, no, that's not what happened. Um, wait, what? Tom Thibodeau? I thought he won coach of the year again. This year? Yeah. Aren't the Knicks going to the finals? Oh, yeah. Julius Randle MVP. This guy's an idiot. (laughs) Um, but for me, this year I have... Obviously, the number one guy that a lot of people may have is Monty Williams. He was the runner-up last year. The Suns are the best team in the NBA. But I'm going to give it to an unheralded guy, a guy that I feel like isn't as known to most people as he should be as a great coach, and that's Taylor Jenkins, the head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies. The Memphis Grizzlies were not projected to be nearly as good as they have been so far this season before the year started. The Grizzlies have probably been the most improved team out of anyone, the most surprising team. And Taylor Jenkins has been a lot of that. The thing with Taylor Jenkins is he's just the epitome of a new age, younger kind of coach that just gets the players and understands the feel for today's world and just culture in general. He's done a great job with them. You look at that Memphis team, they're so, so good at chemistry with their chemistry. It's just so obvious how much they like playing with each other and how much fun they have as a group. And they're so coherent out there as a, as a squad. They move the ball great. They get it to everyone. They get everyone their touches. Everyone plays their role. No one has egos. And Taylor Jenkins is a big, big attribution to them being so level-headed and being such a great all-around team rather than being one or two individuals and then a bunch of role players. I agree with Nate. Taylor Jenkins has completely changed the entire just picture of Grizzlies. The makeup what, of Grizzlies of basketball. what Grizzlies basketball is. It's ridiculous. And where a lot of people could give it to Monty Williams, I obviously am not going to argue with you. You have a very valid point. The Suns are the best team in the NBA. I but just, I think a big part of it, it's bro. It's the turnaround. Yeah. A big part of it is the turnaround. Plus, if you think about it, bro, the Grizzlies don't have that much, like, age. No, yeah, they're like, very like young. The, the Suns have, like, Chris Paul. No, bro. yeah, he's, they a, have, he's a coach in They his have own. veteran leaders, and he's the Grizzlies don't. He's a coach in don't. his own, yeah. That, actually, that is a good point that I didn't even think of, to be honest. But the Grizzlies do not have nearly as many veteran leaders as the Suns do. They have Chris Paul, JaVale McGee, a couple guys that are just veterans who've been around championship teams or have championship mindset. Jay Crowder, even though he choked in the finals twice, as Draymond said. Um, but, yeah, I think... You can argue Monty Williams, but I think Taylor Jenkins just has to do more, and they've been a much more surprising team, and the turnaround has been such a big thing for them. And then one guy that we can't forget about, Eric Spolstra, obviously. Yeah, Eric Spo always deserves an honorable mention. Always, Number one team in the East. That team is not as talented as a number one team probably would expect to be. Another thing with it, again, is same thing with the Suns. They have a lot of that veteran leadership. Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, Udonis Haslam. So yeah. many guys, yeah. 
Well, anyways, that's going to wrap up for this week's episode. As always, I'm Nate. I'm Danny. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for watching. Peace. Peace.